an upbeat 80s hit. A funky track to help you remember a door code. And a piece with the typewriter as the featured instrument. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. All right, another edition of Themes and Variation. You know what? We are now 20 episodes deep. And that might not sound like a huge accomplishment. Maybe it isn't a huge accomplishment, but we're very proud of it here at Soundfly. And we're very grateful to you, dear listener, for helping us get to our 20th episode. And to help us ensure that we get 20 more, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, give us a rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. And for our 20th episode, we've got a very fun theme for you. Today, we are breaking down some whimsical songs. These are songs that are a little lighthearted, a little fun, a little playful, and hopefully they put a little pep in your step. That felt really wrong and uncomfortable for me to say, but let's get right into it. So joining me, of course, is my frequent co-host, Mahaya Lee, and joining Mahaya and I is our boss, CEO, and founder of Soundfly, Mr. Ian Temple. In addition to being the reason Soundfly exists, and by extension, this very podcast that you're listening to, Ian is an entrepreneur, composer, and pianist. He's played all over Europe, North America, and Asia as one-third of the modern classical experimental trio, one of my favorites, Sontag Shogun. And he's performed with incredible musicians like Julia Kent, Matana Roberts, and Greg Fox. He's also composed music for films and videos, including the award-winning short film Rosa, These Storms. We get into all kinds of things on this episode, like, did Hollow Notes take themselves too seriously? The DIY mastery of Wolfpack. And yeah, Mejia picked a song that features the typewriter, because of course she did. And of course, remember to check out soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. We have some amazing courses coming out soon. We got a new one coming out this month. I should be able to share some more info on that with you very soon. And we are working with some amazing artists to bring you some courses. I I just cannot wait to share these new offerings we're going to have for you very soon. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Whimsical Songs. All right, folks, another edition of Themes and Variation. I am, of course, joined by Mejia. Mejia, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Carter. Just really well. Excellent. Excellent news. I'm fantastic, and I'm fantastic because we are joined by our good friend and great boss, Mr. Ian Temple. Ian, how are you doing, man? Hey, guys. How's it going? (laughs) Going great. Welcome back to the pod. I I am am so so excited excited to to be here. I've been like, I've been both part offended, just like waiting for my invitation, uh, you know, to come back on and part just like desperately excited to to come back on again. So. I'm excited too, because we are talking, of course, whimsical songs, uh, just a light and delightful theme today. I'm very, very stoked. Uh, of course, guys, were there any songs that you considered for this theme of whimsical songs that you didn't end up picking for this episode? 
I thought I would kind of open it up and crowdsource it a little bit. So a little mm. bit of context here. I love, or at least thought I loved songs <laughs> with whimsy. Um, one of the first <laughs> and oldest playlists on my like Spotify account yeah. is a playlist yeah. I made like seven years ago that I've been constantly, it's like the only playlist that in like a nineties a music playlist that I like to return to again and again and again. And I've adjusted over time and, and it's, and it's and it's called something like, you know, instrumental songs with a touch of whimsy or something like that. <laughs> so I had too many options coming into this conversation. So I thought I'd, I'd open it up. Um, and seek more. To the, <laughs> Yeah, and seek even more. I, well, I just, you know, maybe my thinking was like a little stale on this. I've been too deep into mm. it. You know, I needed some outside perspective. Mm. So I, mm. I posted in our, our, our student Slack group on Soundfly and, and basically asked for some other, uh, some, some recommendations. Um, and, and it did adjust my thinking. I got some interesting ones. One of the, the winners from that that I almost chose to focus on was this song Happiness um, by Big Giant Circles. It's a chip chip song hmm. um, from Eric in our community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. John on our team threw out NC from Terry Riley, um, which is a great, it, it definitely has some whimsy to it. It's just really... <laughs> It is what it says it is. It's like an hour of playing the note C or, you know, just jamming on the chord C. Um, shout out especially to, to Joel yeah. in our community who sent me yeah. like... 20 <laughs> options yeah. i was asking joel i was like well what defines whimsy for you and he was like it's mostly the lyrics huh. mm. um and that was really interesting to me because i actually i was thinking of whimsy primarily from a music perspective yeah. Yeah. almost like this like music with whimsy is often like uh, like Parisian in feel. It's got like accordions in it, maybe, or like, you know, it's uh, maybe like a jazzy shuffle or um, uh, lots of like major key elements. And uh, that kind of just changed my thinking to realize, oh yeah, well, actually the lyrics can be like the most whimsical part. Whenever we have a word like this, where it's like, this is an adjective that I, I know that I love, but having to focus in and make a case for a song being whimsical usually leads me to, or having to make a case for a song fitting that descriptor, I should say, um, usually leads me to want to like trace the origins of the word and look specifically at like, what does this truly mean? Not just in the, I've used it, so I assume I know what it means way. Um, <laughs> so I went too deep and whimsical and whimsy can most likely be traced back to the 1600s word whim wham, uh, which referred to like a trinket, <laughs> um, like, like an oddity, you know? And then you know, you get words like whim, like on a whim, something spontaneous, which interestingly, I don't really connect the word whim with the word whimsy that often. Like they feel like different things, but they're very yeah. closely related. So trying to pick like an on the nose choice, I went through like all of Wham's discography. 
Wham-wham. Yeah. Wham-wham led to wham. But then also, like, like a lot of their music is so upbeat and it sounds so playful, but then you look at it and it's like, there's a real darkness to a lot of this. Where it's like, even if it's upbeat, there's, like, a sarcastic tone or there's, like... um he's like criticizing someone in his life or something. So none of that fit. So the track that, that I wanted to do, and it was more just trying to fit a song that I really love into a theme that probably it didn't work with was uh, panic at the discos. Uh, I write sins, not tragedies. There's a playfulness in that performance and a whimsical kind of attitude. It's better to face these kinds of things with a sense of poison rationality. I shine in having you people ever heard harder to define uh, musically honestly but i know it when i hear it and i think i absolutely hear it in our first selection for the theme whimsical songs which is my pick for the episode let's dive right in listening to you make my dreams i thought the title was you make my dreams come true the come true is actually in parentheses so a little fast fact for everybody out there it's just you make my dreams by of course hall and oats we're all dancing of course so that track just bobbing our heads Ian, as you mentioned you can't help but like bob your head you can't help but skip if i was standing i would probably <laughs> skip and i think that's a great trait of a, a whimsical track but you just your guys's experience with the music of daryl hall and john oats I think it always like existed in my life. Like it, they're just they're one of those groups that their music is featured in so many movies and TV shows and commercials and yeah. played in shopping centers. But also, everybody has someone in their life that loves Hollow Notes. And eventually, for me, it was you. Like you went through that phase where you were obsessing over. Um, well, hold what what song careful, was though. it? Like one once private, private eyes. eyes. Private yeah. eyes is so. Good. It is very good. first heard hollow notes fairly late i was like in college or something like that hmm. and i just could not believe how many how many like absolute bangers they have you know like yeah. every song yeah. is just yeah. these catchy hooks and it's yeah. funny because i didn't immediately connect it with like whimsy but it totally is it's like yeah i i just can't believe how many you know, catchy songs they have, first of mm -hmm. all. Like, yeah. you just kind of go down that rabbit hole and you're like, and this? <laughs> this is them oh, too? Oh, this is Hall & Oates? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. this is them too? You know, and then like, um, 
uh, you know, this song is just so, yeah, it's so danceable. It's like, if I'm trying, if my like kids are like grumpy or something on Saturday morning and I'm trying to like wake them up and like get them going, like I put this song on, you know, and like force them to dance and, and it just like totally changes the mood. Um, that's my dad move. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Forcing children to dance to the song. <laughs> to notes, I know. It's going to be so something good. they have to talk to their therapists about. Yeah. <laughs> Much like Michael McDonald or the Eagles or like any of those yacht rock bands. I don't love the full catalog, but there are a couple songs that I hear and I'm like, oh my God, that song is so good. Uh, this song, obviously Rich Girl, I think is up there. I, I really love. Maneater. Um, Maneater's fantastic. Watch out, boy. Um, your kiss is on my list, of course. Like that song's not my favorite, but the pre-chorus is a banger. So what makes this song, You Make My Dreams, whimsical? For me, the first thing right off the bat is the bounce of that syncopated mm-hmm. synth line right away. Like that hits you and it just puts you in some kind of mood. It's one of those tracks where because it starts like the right hand is starting on the end of one and it's very syncopated. Finding the downbeat is really tough until the kick drum comes in. So like... You know, if you're in a band, you had to learn to play this. A lot of wedding bands, of course, have had to play this. I've had to learn it. It's like, oh, man, if you're responsible, like as a bass player and a drummer, you got to come in on the one. Very, very, very hard. Let me preface this by saying that I've been a little mentally out of sorts lately because I'm trying to finish up our upcoming course on the music of boy bands. And so I've been just like, that's where my head is. And I'm a little distracted. And I know that this was a song you and I talked about before you committed to doing it. When I heard you listening to it this morning when I woke up, um, I thought you were listening to the DuckTales theme song for a second. Yo, that that's so <laughs> great because that is exact. Right? I thought I was going to mention and that, that is so absolutely similar. the same vibe. One of my questions around Hall and Oates is like, um, and 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 this relates to like whimsy as well is. I I find it like, did they take themselves? How seriously did they take themselves? You know what I mean? Because like you're li- you're listening to this song, and I, yeah. part of how I imagine myself listening to this song is like walking down the street, chest held high, you know, huge aviator glasses on, sunny day, just like whistling to myself or something like that, and everyone else around me is like, dude. Yeah. What? Who is that guy? You know what I mean. But Hall and Oates is like 
their album covers, like so many of them are like super serious, super serious. austere, and they're like staring at the camera and stuff. And the music is just not that at all. Yeah. It's it's yacht <laughs> music. It's silly. It's, yeah. It is just like a little bit silly and fun. And uh, like, did they know that? How did they? I think they had to. Um, on some, yeah. I, I can't go for that. Reminds me of an SNL digital short. Like it just sounds like something Andy Samberg would sing that song in particular. I think it's just a, a reflection on like the time of the music. Yeah. Like this is 1981. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And stuff gets dated pretty quick. And I think that this yacht rock becomes unintentionally whimsical. You know, like the the mm. 30, 40 years ago, this was probably like the hottest stuff. And then there's just things that maybe some people like you might call cheese. I think you could also kind of relate to whimsy. Mm. The the dated synth sounds. I love that stuff. Uh, the layered background vocals, particularly on this track, those those ooh oohs, ooh oohs, like just yeah. super layered with chorus. The biggest thing too, totally. like that wide-sounding yeah. uh, gated verb on the yeah. snare drum from '80s music, which is so sick, and and has made a comeback. In research, just how the song came to be, I found weirdly. John Oates and Daryl Hall have two differing takes of how the song oh. was actually written that also are like, they had the same experience. I just want to share this with you guys. So this was John Oates uh, speaking with song, song facts on the composition of the tune. He said it was through a happy accident. My guitar player friend of mine and myself were jamming in the dressing room and I started playing a Delta blues and he started playing a Texas swing and we put them together and all of a sudden into my head popped, you make my dreams. I just started singing it. I don't know why, but I did. And it sounded really cool and everyone liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it was as simple as thing. that. <laughs> yeah. oh and it goodness. was a great day but, and everyone was happy um, at the end. But then weirdly though, Daryl Hall recalled and he was talking to the son which I think is like the the UK tabloid on, on writing the song in his New York City apartment. He said, I had a Yamaha CP30 piano, which is a very distinctive sounding electric piano. I started playing that riff. It just spoke to me. It just sounded really on point and aggressive and happy. I just started singing. You make my dreams come true over it. I wondered if it was uh, too happy. Could I think of something a little more complicated? And I tried, but it is what it is. It really just wrote itself. So both... <laughs> the hollow notes had the experience of this song writing itself individually. Wait, but so there's I'm a curious. third songwriter on this. Yes, there is. Sarah Allen, the longtime partner of Daryl Hall, who's also the subject of the song, Sarah Smiles. Smile. Oh, won't you smile for me, Sarah? You like that, Mejia? You bring that up and I bring all kinds of I know facts you're ready. right at you like that. If you feel like leaving. So what what do you guys think is the most whimsical element of this song? Oh man, the I, to me it's the bounce of the groove and the riff, like that all kind of coming together. It's it's a bounce to the the underlying groove of the track that just makes you dance and then puts you in a really good mood. TV and movies have colored how we picture this song for sure. It's always in oh, moments God, where I'm like, yeah. oh, I associate this with happiness. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Ian, your your take on the whimsical nature of this track 
I think the part that maybe does speak to me of of whimsy, because um, it it feels like they could have just like come up with it in like a a moment, you know, like oh, this is is that you who 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 you can almost imagine someone, you know, like dancing around there they're like the girl or, or boy they're trying to like you know flirt with going totally. ooh, 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 you know or whatever it is um it, it's like slightly obnoxious oh, but it's man. also it's very yeah. childish you know back to yeah. hey like you were talking about youth and whimsy is like youthful in a way ooh, 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 ooh. you know it it, <laughs> it it has a lot of that kind of playful young silliness yeah on, on a note on just the the harmony a little bit because I, the bridge of this track is so cool harmonically the whole track is really just the one chord the four chord and the five chord um in the key of f but the bridge the bridge is really hip you get the flat seven um you get this really really cool um g flat i think it's g flat five moving to the g when we get back into the hook so we'll listen to that but the th- whimsical side of the bridge just how it starts with daryl hall now listen to this Fun fact uh, on this track. This was a big hockey fan. (laughs) And this was the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs goal song for a couple of seasons. So I have some pangs when I hear this song a little bit because, you know, my my beloved Edmonton Oilers would be playing in Toronto and they'd get scored (laughs) on. And this song immediately (laughs) comes on. Shell shot. Matthews, nice move. Backhand shot. He scores. A spectacular goal. Second of the game for Matthews. Human highlight reel goal by Austin Matthews. Any final thoughts on uh, You Make My Dreams from Hall and Oates? No. <laughs> cool. Good choice. Um, let's, uh, let's dive into our next track then. song called 1612 by Wolfpack um and uh uh definitely shout out to Joel and our student slack group for for helping me find this even if he didn't suggest this song just by pointing to the lyrical element that the lyrics provide because I mean really the the whimsy in this song well it's it's caught up in the whole song I mean there's a even in just like the third second of that song or something you hear that like Dinky toy piano, like right <laughs> yeah. with the bass line, like right yeah. off the bat. But what really makes this song so whimsical is it is literally a m- mnemonic device. This <laughs> yeah, is. is a song that was written 
to help remember a door code. What? Like the part where Carter just shut off the song, uh-huh. singing like one, six, one, two, and then he waits a second and goes, star. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so much easier to remember. One, two, star. Do you have the story from Jack Stratton? A, a little bit. I, I saw uh, an, an interview or something where he, he yeah, he, he was like Airbnb-ing his house exactly. or something like that. And like yeah. people kept asking <laughs> him like, you know, hey, can you just send me the door code again <laughs> or whatever it is? And he just got tired of like, he's like, why can't people remember this door yeah. code? So he wrote a song um, and it says it right in the song. I mean, the, like the, 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 first verse is you know the lyrics or something like um you know you need to set it sometimes i write a little song so you don't forget it but the music as well obviously has a lot of whimsy yeah. in it too it's very playful i think like immediately when i heard this song um, it kind of brought me back to almost like a Ramsey Lewis place. And, and then I think like the vocals is what really rescue, rescues this song from being like overly cheesy. You know, I mean, like yeah. the, the, the singer um, whose name... Antoine Stanley. Antoine yeah. Stanley, yeah, yeah, is just like he's like riffing on this. In I mean, the whole song is just the it's the canvas for him to just like totally go nuts with this melody. just like a delightfully whimsical band and in so much of what they do like the the diy masters obviously sleepify the the entire saga of sleepify and what they did and in streaming nothing and no audio and getting people to to just stream it uh 24 what was, hours what was a day. that i don't think so I they released a record awesome. called sleepify uh, in the early days of spotify that was no audio was no music it was just totally blank tracks and they collected royalties on this record because they would t- tell people to just stream <laughs> it during their sleep. And then they went out on tour on those royalties. <laughs> it was totally free. Uh, people were welcome to, you didn't need a ticket to go to the show. Maybe you needed a ticket, but it didn't cost anything to go to these shows. They funded it totally through uh, the Sleepify record. Like That's amazing. Also, we're going to base the routing of the Sleepify tour on where Sleepify is happening the most. Never in the history of music has it been so easy to support a band's tour. All you need to do is make your sleep productive. Yes! Another thing, obviously, is like the, the latest thing they did was auctioning off a track right. on The Joy of Music, The Job of Real Estate. I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Because I, I when it first came out, I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. But I think now, come around? thinking about how much they push, how Jack Stratton in particular, I mean, the whole band, but like he seems to have kind of those ideas like pushing the boundaries of what an indie band can do i am i'm in full support of that i don't know i don't don't know enough about the that auction thing to have kind of strong thoughts on it but i do definitely admire 
their the way they've like created a really um compelling like DIY career. You know, like they've yeah. crowdfunded a lot of their albums. They've always like invited their audience in. They've mm-hmm. just like Im- invited so many different collaborators, collaborators to come and play and contribute and stuff like that. Um they're always they're seemingly like creative about their career in a way that, you know, you really like to see. I'm okay with it because it's to me it's conceptual art based on the name of the album itself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Have you said it out loud yeah. yet? I don't even know. Yeah, uh the joy of music, the job of real Which estate. makes sense, yeah. right? That's like because that's <laughs> the concept that they're playing with, I think it's really interesting to sort of I don't know. This is getting too heady, but if the job of music is to like <laughs> articulate an idea or a narrative of some sort, that's something within your power that you can use to do that even better. You know, like that's the concept they're talking, they're addressing on the album as a whole. So why not? Um, I did just find it. It sold for $70,100 to a group called Earthquake Lights, described here as a New York City-based jazz rock outfit. it again from the beginning why don't you change you know a lot of wolf wolfpack songs i think just seem like so much fun to play mm, right mm-hmm. like yeah. it harkens back to this like yo let's get together in a room and let's like lay down some riffs and just like groove on it and then like pass solos around and like you know just like get really you know really have have like so much fun it's this like delightful interpretation of music that especially for me you know my music is often quite serious and dramatic and like i like scoring music i like you know uh yeah i there's a lot of like um melancholy in my music and and it's it's just really lovely to like dip in and be reminded of this whole like you know no let's just get together in a garage and just like you know and and jam on it they all came together because you know they they were admirers of groups like the wrecking crew and like the old session era of the 60s uh, mm. particularly what was going on in Los Angeles and they were just like why aren't ba- aren't why aren't there bands like that now and so they put the band together to kind of be like a modern day wrecking crew and they oh my god are they ever so good at playing not particularly like some of the lines i think are are super intricate but just incredibly pocketed yeah. and and that's yeah. the biggest yeah. thing of what they do the way that that Jack Stratton and Joe Dart i mean a favorite bass player of mine for sure the way that they double the guitar and bass doubling is just so good in this band at all times that is one thing that you know just makes it really joyful again to listen to is they're just so tight you know they're Mm -hmm. like yeah they're absolutely locked in on the on the rhythms here um and and yeah that just makes it a lot of fun i mean i think they're one of those groups that really does speak to the when you put a bunch of like musicians musicians into a musical group everything sounds easy and seamless even though it's like man what they had to do to get to that point i know you guys have been talking about this while i've been sitting Mm -hmm. here like nodding my head in agreement but if you messed with this combination too much, 
no matter how good everybody else in the group is, some of that magic would be lost. Like they just all balance each other so perfectly. Um, any other fight? Like just on the on the whimsical nature of this track, I'm trying. Like I think the whirly for sure. Just the little mm-hmm. chords, those little stabs. So it's like that's definitely there. But I mean, obviously the the playfulness with which they play is is so prevalent. Mm-hmm. I I can't think of anything else to add. Uh, and any any thoughts on uh, sixteen twelve before we move on? Just like Ian was saying, the vocal does so much. Like when it first started playing. And I heard it and I was like, okay, I know this track. Is it really whimsical? Like I was trying to remember, but something about that vocal quality, just light, like it, it adds a lightness yeah. to things that's perfect. Um, There's the control, like the-, the Yeah, sing, yeah, exactly. Like, like taking it all the way back and like the air and the space that he's using and just like, it, it, it's really, really Like it feels like before, an, again, like just, like, well, I mean, it is this, so of course it feels like this, but just like an expert singer- singing lightly and playfully you know um yeah yeah i think if it sounded like he was trying harder which like good performance obviously amazing performance but if you could hear too much effort then the whole track might lose some of that whimsical feel Mm. yep yep yeah, but it sounds effortless. Yeah. I, I, I think the the you know what put me over to the top to to choose this song was was the star, yeah. just like the yeah the, the, the you know like right in the chorus like having yeah. star you know like, he, oh yeah like he has to hit that and also you know make sure you got that star in there and then like one of the verses I think is even just like him listing the name of stars like oh, various really? like celebrity stars That's so yeah funny. it's just like he's just saying the names of various celebrities. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. He must have changed the code by now, though, right? Like that can't still. You would change the code. I don't know. We this. gotta. Yeah. We should ask him or, try or, to break or go in. and try his. Yeah, or try and break into his. his apartment. We don't. We did don't keep crime. the address out of the song, so that's that's, true. that's good. That's true. But. Uh, That'll be the next, maybe it'll be a follow-up <laughs> track. I mean, this is a few years ago, so I think we would have had it by now. Um, yeah, I'm ready to listen to uh, the last track, if you guys are. Yeah. Go for it. What are we listening to? We are listening to a song called The Typewriter by the composer Leroy Anderson. Ian, you have a passion for music that incorporates typewriters, which is not unexpected. <laughs> that was so crazy. Can I, wait, I got to share, because Mejia, you shared, like, this is the song I'm doing, and you shared a video of it, and Ian was immediately like, oh, it reminds me of one of my favorite all-time albums. It was delightfully whimsical. <laughs> I was this is where this song has kind of thrown me into an existential oh, no. conundrum around my like relationship with music. So the idea of like incorporating this typewriter in a symphony orchestra piece, I was like, oh, that totally reminds me of like Johan Johansson and his album called something like IBM uh, 1401, a user yeah. manual. And and what he did was basically his his father was like a computer engineer or something like that and had all these like recordings of 
sounds from this early IBM thing. And, and so Johan Johansson wrote this symphony incorporating those sounds. It's a very similar thing in a certain way, right. except that album is deeply serious. <laughs> it's, it's very melancholy. So it's completely different than this Leroy Anderson piece, which is just silly. Right. Particularly when you watch the video of it, it's performed almost like a slapstick comedy. Yes, it is. Yeah, Right. absolutely. He performed this um, with the Boston Pops, which that makes sense. Like pops are groups I think of as playing lighter, whimsical pieces for the most part. And then like the national Mm -hmm. anthem. But I think typewriters in general are an interesting thing, and they show up more often than we probably realize. When we saw the Magnetic Fields Carter, they had poets in the lobby typing up poems. I forgot about that. And I don't know if those were directly tied to Stephen Merritt's decision making artistically and things there, but there is something about the typewriter specifically, like you're saying, Ian, it is... An interesting piece of technology. It's kind of like, it. I mean, it is obsolete for all intents and purposes, but we long for it in a way that I don't think we do with like black and white TV in the same way or um, rotary phones, you know? Yeah, it's very tactile. Um, it's yeah. obviously very rhythmic. Um, it's very satisfying to push the keys of a typewriter as well. Mm-hmm. Like I, I imagine this piece is actually really fun to play, to hit the typewriter in that mm-hmm. rhythmic way, like ding (laughs) you know what i mean like you get a little bit of pushback from the um from the keys on the typewriter and it's got this click that is immediately you know compelling for for people who are into like capturing sounds and stuff like that it's this very like almost like hi-hatty clicky you know absolutely um, sound that can be used in a lot of different ways i think even symbolically would you think about a typewriter as like a word processor and something that was much more convenient than a printing press or something like that? Typewriters have kind of a creative urgency to them. Like you always picture like the novelist who can't quite get their book written. Um, one thing I saw when I was looking at scores that I don't like is there are scores that literally say that the typewriter can be replaced with wood blocks and chimes if you need it to. And I hate that. It's not the same. <laughs> What's the point of that? I know. It's called the typewriter. Like, yeah, that's a question sense. I actually have for this. So I, in thinking about this a little bit, the way he's playing the typewriter and the typewriter itself mm-hmm. feels um, like it could be uh, a stand-in for a certain, like, mechanized automated processes Mm, or something mm -hmm. like you know you're talking like mid-century um you know typewriter uh Mm -hmm. secretarial work maybe um but but like a kind of human as um as an automated process right yeah just like you, you know uh the music here is quite simple in a way that is maybe being compared or something like that like it's just right it's just like these little runs maybe i'm reading way too much into it but maybe there is some kind of like critique in here in some way of this kind of like turning music into this like automated system or something like that
this song is so silly um, <laughs> and so slapstick. I'm kind of searching for maybe a little bit more subtlety or meaning right. here. That may or may not be there. Yeah. Maybe there's some critique about some of the way that modern music is made or modern classical music that is too formulaic or something like that hmm. by comparing it to the factory kind of style of a typewriter just going tick, 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 You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, everything about the song is quick. And that's something that, like, again, thinking about whimsy and playfulness and stuff like that, um, the song feels rushed. You know, it's uh, Allegro Vivace. It's fast. You get this, like, uh, like, not trivial, but rushed feeling throughout. I don't know if he had specific, if he was particularly outspoken about things like this. I do know he was in the war. He spoke multiple languages. In fact, he had his PhD in a couple of them, I believe. Wow. When people speak multiple languages and then write instrumental music, that's always interesting to me because that's a person finding another way to say something that already has more ways of saying that thing than I do, <laughs> you know, and that's fascinating to me. Um, yeah. Obviously, he has a lot of academic know-how when it comes to composition and arranging um, and is known as one of the greatest composers of light orchestral works of all time. I kind of hate that term. Um, I don't know how he felt about it, but I don't know. When you guys hear light orchestra without the word electric, <laughs> what do you think of? Is, like, are the connotations positive, negative, neutral? I guess maybe it just feels like it's not as big an orchestra. Like maybe there isn't as big a bass section and there's not, I'm not hearing timpani as much or anything like that. Like it's just less bombastic. It's, it's more uh, focused on maybe the viola and the violins mm. and strings and cellos and stuff like that. It's just light in instrumentation, perhaps probably. Is, yeah. Is I mean, I yeah, that it. could be one way to, 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 to interpret it would just be like smaller or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but the other way would be exactly like this song. This is going to be highly subjective. Um, you know, just for me, you know, I think this song is fun and funny, but it also feels a little trivial to me in a way that, that just isn't that compelling to me personally, you know, and, and sometimes music is meant to be fun and light. Yeah. Light orchestra, quote unquote, you know, that's what I would think is like a certain, you know, I actually love orchestras for the rich depth of them so if you're saying like light orchestra i'm like wait why would i <laughs> what you know yeah so the term light orchestra is another one of those imprecise genre terms it kind of means the classical version of easy listening for the most part and for that reason mm. there are yeah. like certain groups of people who do have negative feelings about that term and might even find it kind of insulting. Um, in fact, I looked it up in the sixth edition of the Oxford Dictionary of Music because it happens to be on my shelf. Just the term light, the way that that gets assigned to genres like light orchestra. I'm just going to read you guys this description because it really sounds like this person takes it as an insult. So light, adjective applied somewhat patronizingly and vaguely to music wow. that is supposed to need less concentration than serious music, another objectionable term. There are also light orchestras <laughs> and light opera. Light music can refer to Elgar's shorter pieces or to the works by composers such as Ronald Binge. Light opera probably means Merry England rather than the Merry Widow, but such classification is imprecise. So basically, there are groups in the classical world who feel that 
labeling something as like light music is basically saying this is trivial. This is lowest common denominator. Totally. Yeah. But I think we say lowest common denominator sometimes when what we really mean is appealing to a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. To kind of build on what I said before, I would love to know more about the genre because I'm sure there's some like, quote unquote, light orchestra stuff that's, as you said, it's just like really beautiful. I think this specific song that we're listening to, if this is like the perfect example of light orchestra, this, this song feels a borderline gimmick. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't think it's and, that. You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> yeah, and so that's not even like borderline. <laughs> yeah, it is just gimmicky. Maybe it yeah. just right. And maybe it just is gimmicky. So, yeah. so I don't know if it's fair to without knowing anything about that, like quote unquote genre. You know, like I don't know if it's fair to say like this is the perfect example of light orchestra. When I when I think of music that I'd put in that world, so it, it is typically a full orchestra, Carter, but. I think of it as being the kind of orchestral music that you might have seen on TV. Um, It's classical orchestral music that really emphasizes melody. Mm. And it's often like radio friendly in length. So under four minutes. I feel like a lot of stuff like, you know, like a lot of Mozart would Mm -hmm. be like Mm -hmm. light. Yeah. A lot of it's really melodic, really short and fun and playful. And he would probably own that, you know? And, and you know that, again, that's the problem with the genre. You could put yeah, a lot of Mozart yeah, yeah. in, and I wouldn't disagree with you, but there would be people who would be up in arms, you know? So so right, I'm not right, sure. Right. Anyway, to my knowledge, it's not a term that Leroy Anderson was at all bothered by. He wrote a lot of pieces that a lot of people love. And um, I don't know. That's more important. Yeah. I'm curious to go out and find some more Leroy Anderson. I'm going to give you after, two right now. After this. So yeah, give, give me one that. song he wrote is Blue Tango. He also wrote the music for Sleigh Ride. I have a very important question. Uh, is what is being typed important? Is it coherent? Or is it you're just slapping on the keys? Is there actually something written? Because that if if there is actually something that you have to type oh, to make this piece correct, that is, I'm on a... That would like, be a skill. It takes yeah. it to me for yeah. sure. My understanding is the way the typewriter is um, adapted to fit this piece is only two keys will actually make sounds. Okay. Uh, interesting. I've never, I don't think I've ever used a typewriter in my entire life, so I don't know. It feels the good. Mechanical, uh, it feels mm-hmm. so good. Yeah, There's like yeah. a kind of permanence yep. too of, you know, like writing in pen versus writing in pencil. You just, you can't go back and erase it. And there's something that feels really satisfying and messy about that. Cause there's like that added mm-hmm. stress of like, I need to get this right. But then if you make a mistake, you made a mistake. You have to white, yeah. white it out though. Don't I mean, sure, yes, but you back go back and, and do that after. I just mean, like, it's not like now where you make a mistake and you could fixate on fixing every tiny little thing. And even that, to me, falls into the spontaneity of whimsy, you know? Like, the repercussions of your actions are just a different kind of consideration if you're in a position where you mm-hmm. can overthink versus being in a position where it's like, I just kind of kind of type really fast. So there's probably going to be errors and we'll deal with it later. <laughs> a, a typewriter is very whimsical. And I think it's whimsical both in its output. You know, you get these 
very um aesthetically pleasing lines that have like the in you know the ink hits the page at different vel uh, velocities so you know words have kind of a bit of a rainbow mm -hmm. to how they appear on the page the fonts used in typewriters are very like you know big serifs <laughs> and and really pleasing to look at as well and sometimes the the lines are not exactly perfect so there's a lot of imper imperfections in how um you know a document will appear well even the paper come out of a type like if you put the paper yeah, and even slightly paper, off totally. your whole thing's a little crooked and that's beautiful yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah. which is which is when you know once again we go back to that like oddity mm -hmm. definition of whimsy like i i love that that the, the the natural kind of imperfections that a typewriter like delivers makes it a very whimsical like um you know platform very whimsical like instrument to use yeah whatever. and all yeah. the individual so Leroy Anderson was an incredible arranger too like every single one of these parts just sound like they'd be fun to play and one of the things that they teach you when you study arranging in a, a deep way is the psychology of the parts you're writing for players like I was an alto in choir um it sucks to sit there counting measures when you have rests forever <laughs> and things like that, you know, like it just does. And when you write for people in that way, yeah. there's a chance they're not going to pull it off if they find their part uninspiring. As much as the harmony in this is very predictable, straightforward, which makes it perfect in a technical way, every single part seems like it'd be fun to play. And especially at this tempo, I remember playing like... Yeah. Um, like Le Cuckoo, look, I can talk. I remember playing Le Cuckoo when I was younger, uh, which I thought about doing for this. It's like exhilarating to play something at this mm. tempo. Because you just like, you know, you're probably going to mess up a tiny bit. Like it just, mm -hmm. there's an adrenaline thing to that. To do it in a, in a large orchestra like that, where everybody's riding that wave together of playing incredibly quick and, and brisk tempo and pace and everything. And you're kind of spurred on by the person next to you who's maybe playing the same part. And it feels different. Yeah. Like my preference tends to be down tempo stuff where you have to breathe into everything and make a lot of eye contact and that whole deal from an expressive standpoint that feels satisfying. But this is a totally different mindset and energy. Like you have to have the part rehearsed perfectly you know totally. i think seeing this one actually performed would be pretty awesome i mean it requires acting skills too i think yes yeah. and, and and the performance that that uh the video you shared uh the soloist and the and the typewriter or typewritist or whatever percussionist you would is usually there. who plays it uh, percussionist the gentleman playing the typewriter though acts it uh -huh. beautifully like the yeah, way he he's it. straining yeah. to yeah. Yeah. what to write that when he's finished he brings it to the conductor like very it's like hot off the typewriter whatever you say i never hot off the typewriter, typewriter. So I don't even know how to, hot <laughs> off the typewriter uh so i don't even know how to talk about i don't remember one, if there'd but, be um, heat i don't think there was there is it's just the the clack of the keys is i think we talked earlier and i think why like mechanical keyboards are so popular now yeah. too and like super expensive because they they are oddly satisfying. Like just yep. the, yeah. Like it'd yeah. be Definitely. it'd be interesting to hear an updated version of this done with digital instruments, just because I think you'd have to lose a lot of that the life that it has. Ian, you are obviously the CEO and founder of Soundfly and the reason we're on this wild journey to help people make the music that they love. Uh, but you're also a musician and creator yourself. Do you want to share anything with our listeners 
uh, coming down the pipe for Sontag or just anything that you're working on your own uh, and exciting things musically well, these days? Well, right now I am a very uh, engaged student of our Kimbra yes. course we made with, with, uh, with the incredible artist Kimbra um, that's on vocal creativity arranging and production. And yep. I have not really incorporated vocals in my music before. I'm not a very confident singer, so I'm taking a slightly more textural approach to it um, and kind mm -hmm. of, you know, doing it with training wheels on, um, but but really loving kind of going through that course with, with some other community members in Soundfly. Um, so that's something I'm working on right now just as, for fun for myself um, and uh, uh, just finished up and sent off to, um, to, the, uh, to Get Mastered, a new album. Um, for Sontag Shogun with an incredible, uh, yep. it's a collaboration with an incredible Finnish uh, artist named Lau Now. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's probably not going to be out until like November or December if the apparently like vinyl production is really held mm. up at the moment. Um, so we'll, we'll see uh, how that works out, but it's going to be available on vinyl. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, we'll be re hopefully, fingers crossed, releasing it later this year. Um, and it's... Uh, very it does have it does have whimsy it has that yeah. kind of melancholy yeah. whimsy to it a lot of the track names are in finnish huh. but they um are quite whimsical words in in finnish finnish like there's a trampoline involved in one of them, <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome and, uh, yeah so so there, there will be a little bit of whimsy in there um as well as uh uh a lot of kind of snapshots of the past mm. year always exploring nostalgia and and memories and stuff like that that's a lot of what our music does so that's yeah exciting. excited to share that when it's ready and that's going to do it for this episode of themes and variation thank you so much for listening we want to hear your favorite whimsical song so as always there is a link to a spotify community playlist in our show notes feel free to add your selections there and if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for themes for a future episode, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at podcast at soundfly.com. Be sure to check out soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs and use the code themes to take 20% off an annual or monthly subscription. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.